0: pretty easy, isn't it, at the moment to um, get caught up with the the hardship of life and sometimes we miss some of the opportunities to see what God is is doing. And so this isn't the message, this is more of just a a bit of an announcement of um, something that's been happening in the life of the church that is actually a positive, a good thing. Uh, One of the things that I I personally wrestle with uh, is a gift of discernment and quite often God will... Quick into my spirit, something in the moment. And while the gift of discernment is good, it doesn't come with the gift of knowing what to do with that message, which would be good because then you'd know how to act in that way. And um, one of the things that I often see within the church is incredible individuals. And I see the God given potential. And I don't think we need a gift of discernment for that. Sometimes you encounter someone and just go, wow, God is going to use you mightily. Um, and one of the things that, that I've been journeying through this year with, with many you know, people in the church and our key volunteers and leaders and, is seeing what God's been able to do during unprecedented times like COVID, the way people have gone above and beyond to, to show love and care to press in in hard times, knowing that it's tough, like there's an extra cost um, to be able to, to love others and be a Christian witness. And, um, and I see it also in our staff. And I have a, a master plan, which many of them ask me for, and it's like, nope, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for where I'd like them to be. And, um, and one of oh, all of our staff have done an incredible job I think you'd agree this year, uh, in in really tough times, and in one particular staff member has taken an extra load um, when when I took a load off. Um, in That when I broke my leg a few months ago, um, somebody stepped up and took on that leadership role, and that leadership role meant caring for the church. It's members, uh, also caring for the team and making sure that the day-to-day things took place uh, in incredibly pressured times when the rules change, if, most likely more often than not weekly but sometimes daily, I had to pivot and lead and change with those times. And so it's actually a real privilege and honour today to say that Anthony Watson is actually no longer our operations manager but he is the new executive pastor here at York Street. Let me put our hands together. It, um, it started with a, a phone call um, where I was lying on the ground, and he was saying, you could hear me in the background going, I'll be okay. I'm, I'll, I'll get my laptop and I'll write the sermon on Wednesday and I'll be there on Sunday. like, yeah, that was never going to happen. I was out for a good two months. <laughs> um, and, and he just ran with it. He's organized sermon series. He's organized pastoral care. He's organized the logistics and done an incredible job. And, and in, uh, above and beyond that, he's also been studying, preaching and theology this year as well as formation and doing an incredible job. And so we just believe it's right. Uh, for you to take on that role, and, um, and it, which holds some of the previous job description but also has some new, and we're navigating that as we go. Um, none of us are doing what our jobs are at the moment because just doing what we can to love everybody. But, um, yeah, it's real exciting, mate. So we just put our hands together for the incredible job Anthony's been doing. Into the message. Have you ever reacted in the moment and then instantly regretted it. (laughs) You don't have to put your hands up because some of these might be incriminating. (laughs) Have you ever said something and then thought, "Mm, it's out? Have you ever broken something? Parents, have you ever walked into a room and disciplined a child only to realise it was the wrong one? (laughs) Don't put your hands up. Don't, I don't. (laughs) Um, Today's message is called Calm Under Pressure. And there's times in life when there's pressures and moments and we react. And we react because there's emotion going on and there's a scenario and, and maybe we're defensive or maybe we're upset or maybe that amazing glass boat that dad bought, mum is on the shelf and we threw a ball and it smashed and the consequence, anyway, who knows what that could be. True story. True um, <laughs> But there's moments when we react in the moment. Other times we've got to be calm under pressure. If you've ever reacted in the moment and regretted it, sent that email or whatever that is, then today's message is about that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at what it is to be calm under pressure, that actually shows that you are a part of our life. Lord, I pray that as we look at scenarios in in the world and in our lives, that we would honour the King in the way that we react the moment and God I pray that scripture would give us some tools to do that today in Jesus name amen we see all the way through scripture there's so many people who are calm in pressured moments or in moments of even persecution you see even Noah who built the ark you know it took him a long time to build the ark on dry ground can you imagine that the voices that he had in his ear Saying, "You know, what are you doing? Oh, you're nuts!" And all these these pressures, but he remained calm and he remained true to what God had called him to do. It's a bit of a side note, but Moses was actually one of the greatest financiers in the Bible. You see, while his stock was floating, everybody else was in liquidation. So good to be back. So good. See, if I say that to an empty room, I don't know, even, moans are great, any response, I don't care, it's just, bring it on. (laughs) Today we're continuing our series on David, King David, and the series is called The King and I, it's about our relationship with God, and who has rulership over your life, your earthly desires, the things of this world, or God. To catch us up a little bit, we, we've started in First Samuel, and in First Samuel chapter 16, David is anointed as king because the, the current king, Saul, wasn't following God's kingship. He was following his own, and his ego was getting the better of him, and his pride and his lust, and, and, a, and, a, and God disenthroned him and anointed David, a shepherd boy. As King, the very next chapter in first Samuel chapter seventeen shows that that then David shows that he 's submitting to god 's kingship in that he went to fight this huge battle and it wasn 't just a physical battle it was a, a spiritual battle and, and a battle for for submission to God and, and defeated this huge giant called Goliath publicly in front of everybody. We then see in first Samuel chapter eighteen that David is coming back from this celebration or the, the the defeat of the philistines and he's coming back and in that space we see that, that two things happen first that that it's a celebration of winning the battle but instantly Saul is jealous once again Saul's not following God's kingship he's got his own kingship and he's like instead of celebrating the victory that God had in defeating the giant through a shepherd boy Saul is feeling threatened because his kingship is in his own ego. And from there we see persecution start to take place. Saul is jealous of David. And for a while he can't hurt David because David's like the hero. David's the one that everybody looks to because of what happens on the battlefield with Goliath. But in this we see that, that, that there's a persecution that, that, that ensues that David starts to, to flee. But before we get to that, which will give us to, bring us to our main passage today, I want us to just backstep to this David and Goliath just again. It was a couple of weeks ago when we spoke on this. and I just want to touch on something we sort of skimmed over. You see, David had been honoring God in his every day. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, when David is anointed, God's spirit falls on him. And in that, he is now in tune with God. He can hear God's Spirit. He can hear the voice. He can be led by the Spirit. And what does that look like? Well, he's, a, he's a, an emotional guy. He's a muso. <laughs> you know, so, you, know, you, you read the Psalms, and he's an emotional guy. And so, we've got to see when we're talking about calm under pressure, this is an important part because when he's on his own, he's worshipping God. He's dealing with his emotions. He's, he's talking to God. He's writing songs. We read through the Psalms when he's in leadership and he's under the pressure, how he's going. He's like, God, you're the best. And it's like, God, where are you? Thank you for being there. Where have you gone? I'm so thankful. I'm so sorry. You know, and it's like, that's like, man, it's like a convention of worship leaders. You know, the Psalms, it's like, oh, oh, oh. You know, just, you know they start the first song and you're just like, oh, I'm emotionally drained. Oh. Andrew and loves it, <laughs> loves it, bring it on. And, and emotions are going to play a part in this because often when we, we are in a space of, of maybe somebody says something and you want to react, you want to buy it. But that's the emotion. That's not the full picture. And, and we see that, that in these moments of by himself, David is in, in communion, in common union, in conversation with the Spirit. And in that, he is in in charge of this mighty task of protecting sheep. But he takes it so seriously that he put his life on the line. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when he is defending his call to go and fight Goliath, he goes to Saul, I have defended the sheep I have taken on the lion and the bear. I have put my life on the line for what God has entrusted me with. And in the every day, what God had given him, he had put everything on the line. He could have died for those sheep. He would have died for those sheep. But because he was in tune with God, he went out and did that. And because he was entrusted and honoured the charge that he had with sheep, God gave him a charge of his people. And he would, would live in an incredible way in in leading his people. And we know that when David... and I'm skipping ahead a bit before we dive into the, the meat of the passage today. We know that when David was in tune with God and allowed God to be in the emotional space, he did well. When he acted on the emotional space, that's his greatest failures. So there's going to be space for emotion... But where do we place that in the moment? We're going to get to that in a minute. I've got something in my eye and it keeps weeping. I'm a little bit, but I keep doing that to wipe. Anyway, this is live. Can't edit that out. Anyway, one of the things is that David has this routine early on. And we see part of the routine is that that we actually need to practice patience practice moments of taking a deep breath to sort of diffuse the moment. We're going to see in a moment how, how David actually does that, takes a, takes a little bit of a, a, a breath, and, and in his, his actions, he's almost you know, almost grieved by his actions early on. We'll get to that passage in a minute. But, but it's so important that when we have an, a moment where there's something that creates a response, that we actually... Pause for a moment rather than acting out. You get that email. You know, um, Paul's letters, you know, I'm writing this as loud as I can you know, I'm typing these letters back. You know, it's like, oh, all capitals. You know, like, pause. Pause. Take a breath. The um, Proverbs 14, verse 29 says, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but whoever is quick-tempered displays folly. One of the great ways to deal with our emotions in the moment of uh, being under pressure is to uh, practice pray- patience. And I think a great way to do that is actually spend some time in prayer. I found myself during COVID working on a project car that was in our shed on an axle stand, so it's not very high off the ground, and, and anybody that knows anything about cars, I won't go into huge detail like I'd like to, but... Um, <laughs> If I say the term Welsh plug or freeze plug, you'll know exactly what I mean. Um, But essentially, it's a little plug that sits on the front and back of the engine that if, if you're in freezing weather, they pop out to stop your engine from cracking. And my engine had been out of the car for a really long time, so I had every opportunity in the world to change these things. But no, I've put it in the car, and I've really put it in, I've welded bits in, like it is in there forever, and then I've realized these things are leaking. And so now I've got this much space at the back of the engine and a hammer that's about this long. And I found myself underneath the car throwing a three-year-old tantrum, screaming with the hammer, trying to bang this plug into the block, going, and I was so cranky, so angry, so frustrated, getting nowhere because it's not doing anything. And then I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you sort of picture like somebody's walked in and saw see, seen you, sawed you, <laughs> sorted, yeah, you know what I mean, <laughs> Seended, yeah, doing stuffs and that um, underneath the car. And and I had that sort of moment thinking, what do I look like right now? <sighs> you know, it's, I took a breath, I, I took another breath, I needed a couple, <laughs> and then I prayed because I was pretty frustrated. And the very next thing I attempted actually worked. And I sort of pictured God looking at me, giggling, going, (laughs) that was pretty silly, wasn't it? Yeah, God doesn't always answer your prayers. I know that um, God doesn't, doesn't need to answer prayers around cars, but he did show himself to me in that moment of take a breath and trust God. And I think when we, we act in that, that moment, like I was showing folly, I was follying all over the ground <laughs> underneath that car, I really was, <laughs> where if I had some patience, I wouldn't have done that so much. So let's dive into our passage today, we're going to pull apart First Samuel chapter 24, so we we'll are fast forwarded a few chapters, and, and Saul is pursuing David and trying to kill him. And now we, we get to this part in, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, it says, Now Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines and was told that David was in the desert of En Gedi. So he took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to, took, uh, to look for David and his men near the crags and the wild goats. Now we've got a photo here of the desert of En Gedi. And you can see that in this photo, there's a lot of sort of valleys. And in those valleys are a lot of caves. Now David has fled from Saul because he knows his life is at risk and because David is such an incredible influence and has such incredibly godly character at this point in his story, people are following him. He's he's got around about 600 soldiers that are with him. And so Saul is pursuing David, wanting to kill him out of jealousy and takes a ratio of about three to one. I think that's the right measurement. Is that right? Thanks, mate. Executive pastor, good job. Um, and so it takes 3,000 soldiers to try and take on David. This is the part that every teenager and child loves in the story. Verse 3 he came to the sheep pens along the way, a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave so I want you to picture this for a start of all the caves in the En Gedi desert of all the caves there's this one cave the one cave that David and his soldiers are in are the one cave that Saul chooses to go to the bathroom now also he is the king so he's got an entourage right He's got 3,000 men. He is always under guard, day and night. There's a royal guard that will be with him, making sure he's protected. And so now he's going to the, the bathroom, but when you go to the bathroom, you don't need an entourage. Yeah, like, I know girls seem to go in groups, but you don't need... You, like in this setting, right? We're not going to go there. And in this setting, you don't need an entourage. And so... Come on. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> We're not going to go there. Um, I did, but we're not anymore. What happens is that for the first time, potentially ever, in the relationship of David and Saul, Saul is by himself. This is the opportunity. This is the moment. There's a... There's something else at play here, and and it's called the the lex talionis, which is a law that comes out of Exodus, which is known as the the law of retribution. And the the law of retribution um, speaks of this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's this law of justice. If someone hurts you, you hurt them. and It's it's supposed to be like this this equal thing. And you see, Jesus speaks about it in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, back in, in the Old Testament, there was this justice system that was at play. But Jesus comes in and says, actually, love is the answer. And these moments of, of opportunity and these moments of pressure... There's an opportunity to to show love. Skip Hastings says that you know vengeance comes naturally, but forgiveness comes supernaturally. Forgiveness is a gift from God. Vengeance is natural. And so here we have this moment where David and the enemy is in the cave. Here we have this moment where the one that's been trying to kill David has thrown spears at him and done all sorts of stuff trying to to kill him. This one that has actually killed other people in pursuing David. This one that has done so many wrong things. There is an opportunity for David to get vengeance, justice. And it's like an eye for an eye. I can throw a spear back and chances are I'm going to get him. But there's something in this, that God's Spirit is speaking something to David that is different. We read in verse 4 that the men said that on this day, this is the day, God, David, this is it. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And David crept up unannounced and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. You see, that the soldiers misinterpreted it. They were going eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They weren't leaving with forgiveness. They were looking for vengeance. And and it could be mistaken as, but yes, you can see that there's actually some opportunity in that. These guys have been running for their lives. These guys are living differently to how they should be. These guys are, are under intense persecution, and this is the opportunity to fix all that. And God delivered him. But David's got something else going on in his ear because of what he did in those quiet moments when, he, when he, he was filled with the Spirit and he was able to hear and decipher God's voice from the voice of the world. We all know people that have maybe misinterpreted God's plans a little bit. We've heard something and we've thought it's one thing, but it's the other. It's like your car's absolutely filthy, it's dirty, and a nice new car pulls up next to it and you're like, I reckon God's telling me I've got to get a new car. And you start to justify it. Or <laughs> well, that teenage boy that's looking for a relationship and that the new girl walks in and smiles at him. He's just like, that's the one. Let's get married. Woo! <laughs> it's like, maybe not. Yeah, no. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You've misinterpreted the situation. And the, and the, the soldiers did exactly that. But we see David's character in just how much he is in tune with the king and how much he is in both in fear and in reverence and understanding of who God is. You see, the moment David creeps up and cuts off the corner of the robe and goes back into the back of the cave quietly, and immediately he feels sick to his stomach. It says in verse four. After that, David is conscience-stricken, having cut off the corner of the robe. He said to his men, "Lord, forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. God has put this person in power and authority. How dare I go against what God has done?" And you see that he is so stricken, and it could have been justified, totally justified. What what? the soldiers are telling him to do. But he is so convicted that that in in, in his heart and his spirit that that is not right, that this is the God's anointed, that that then goes on and says, with these words, verse 7, he sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. So now he's holding them back. Don't attack him. No, this is not right. This is not right. And then we see God's plan fulfilled. In that when, when Saul leaves the cave, David shows his respect of the God's anointed king as my lord the king. And he calls out to Saul. Now he doesn't just blindly submit to Saul. He then goes through this process of saying, you've heard people say that I'm trying to kill you, that I'm trying to take over your kingship, that I'm trying to do all your stuff. I'm here to say otherwise. And he points out the wrong things that Saul had done. He doesn't let him off the hook. He says the things that he's done wrong, but then he holds up the cloth and says, if I was going to kill you, I would have done it then. Look at the evidence. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this idea of how God can be the hero of the narrative, how we've got to hear all of the information. Then we've, once we've heard all the information, we embrace God's plan. We have a role to play, the R in hero. And when we honor God with the hero analogy, the O means the, the outcome will honor God. When we allow God to be the hero of when we face the giants, he is elevated. And this is exactly what we see. See, David sitting in the cave. He's hearing these voices of the soldiers, but he's embraced a different plan. And although he's cut off the corner of the robe and he's, he's guilt-stricken, he knows his role was not to kill Saul, but to, to fulfill his part in the plan. And he, he speaks out all of the, the wrong things and holds up the evidence of, of the right thing. That I didn't kill you. See, here's the evidence. Here's the opportunity. And then we see that God is glorified in that when... David finishes speaking in verse 16. Saul asks, is that your voice, my son? When David killed Goliath, part of the reward was that he got to marry um, Saul's daughter. So David was Saul's son-in-law. Is that you, my son? And he wept aloud. There's a lot of emotion in these two guys. Now Saul is gone from trying to kill David to on the floor, an absolute mess, weeping. You are more righteous than I. You have treated me well and I have treated you unwell. And then it goes on in the second part of verse 19. May the Lord reward you well for the way that you have treated me for day, today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. This is the enemy. Now, totally flipped around because it was God's plan. You see, earthly plans, the vengeance plan would have been to kill him. And now we've got this war going. We've got two sets of soldiers and and it's, what do you do? But now we've got the enemy because of God's plan and because of love, compassion and mercy, forgiveness being shown in the cave, we see a total repentance of Saul in this moment. You don't have to go too far and he flips back again and he's chasing David. But in this moment, Saul, in almost a, a prophetic word, is saying, you are going to be a better king than I am to one that just moments before he was trying to kill. You see, in and through this, David is being led by the Spirit. But we've also got someone to look up to when it comes to being calm under pressure, actually the master to look at, found in Jesus Christ. Because we see so many times people came up against him trying to trick him up, trying to, to, to make him make mistakes. And what we see Jesus do time and time again is what does he use? Scripture, God's word, the Bible. And in doing that, often he shows that the mistakes. There was this one time where he's, he's up against the, these Pharisees that are trying to trick him up, they're trying to, to make him slip up. And in this moment, there's this, this wrestle going, and the, he asks the question of the Pharisees, Well, who do you think the Messiah, whose son is the Messiah? And they go, Well, it's the son of David. And rightly so, the Bible has said from David's line there will be a Messiah, but in that we see that actually why would you have, remember the, the early part when we, we introduced this series, you see, why would you have an earthly king when you can have a heavenly king? As soon as you have an earthly king, you have a person and person, a people have failures. King David, the greatest king that Israel ever had, had monumental failures where God doesn't. And he, he corrects them when he, he says... This idea of, it's not David that's going to be the father of the Messiah, because David actually calls the Messiah Lord and submits. And in submitting, that means you can't submit to your son, you submit to something higher than you... and and. Picks the floor in their theology. And in doing so, using Scripture and showing that they didn't understand what they were saying, silences the Pharisees. That's found in Matthew. The passages are probably behind me. And at the very end, it says in verse 46, no one could say a word in reply because they didn't want to enter the, the wrestle, the conversation, because the Bible showed the truth of it all. Now, in that, we see that Jesus isn't showing emotion in this scenario, but we do see that Jesus often shows emotion with his disciples. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, like, please stay awake. I need you with me. I need you to be praying with me. I'm wrestling. I'm upset. I'm carrying this so heavy. Please we see emotion is okay to show there's space for emotion and i want to say that in jesus choosing his disciples in david choosing jonathan there's spaces for emotion where we can wrestle we can cry we can celebrate we can weep we can we can go through that with trusted people but we also got to be ready in the moment to take a deep breath to pause and to show love and forgiveness. You see, when it comes to being calm under pressure, what we see is, is that both it's being led by the Spirit and anchored in Scripture, which are the foundation stones of the church here. But we see there's a little bit more to it. You see, if we can honour God in the everyday, when these circumstances pop up, we're prepared. David spent time with the sheep, preparing for the time with the nation. We see that we can practice pray, patience in those quiet moments and take a deep breath and, and spend some time in prayer to see what God wants to speak into that moment so that we, when we are in a cave and there's an opportunity but there's other voices in our head, we don't follow that but we follow the voice of our Lord and Saviour. We know that, that actually vengeance is natural but forgiveness is supernatural and so we've got to lead in a space of forgiveness. One, one of the, the passages that Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is his reply to the Pharisees before he silenced them with scriptural knowledge. But the next thing he says is to love your neighbor as yourself, and one of the greatest ways to love your neighbor is when you can empathize with where they are so much that you weep. Loving your neighbor, you may not agree with them, and that's okay, you don't have to agree, the Bible never says that. If you get to the New Testament and you see some of the disciples there having robust conversations, they're at it. They don't agree. But they love each other and they love the gospel and they love God's people. Showing forgiveness, choosing love in the moment rather than trying to justify your stance or your position, but also sharing the load having trusted godly people, where you can cry and weep and celebrate is so, so important. I wonder, today is a bit of a challenge for us, if there is something that we can focus on today that will help us honour God tomorrow. Is there something that we can focus on today to prepare us for the pressures that we are going to face? We don't know when the that may be when you're under a car putting in a Welsh plug... Or it may be when you get that email that you read wrong. Maybe when you walk into the room and you see one child holding something that's broken in their hands and you want to respond, realizing that they were trying to pack up the mess from another child. What can you focus on today that will help you honor God tomorrow? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that in these moments that we all face in life when there is pressures that are up against us, that we would honor you and glorify you, that we would be the peacemakers, that we would be the ones that that show love and kindness and grace as Jesus did, that we would be the ones that, that you would use to change history the way that David could have given in to the voice of the soldiers, but in not doing so, in hearing your voice, in honoring your kingship first, enabled two armies to hear Saul, who was the enemy at the time, elevate and prophesy that David would be king. Lord, I pray that we would have moments that through love, through patience, through calm, through prayer, through love, that when we face these barriers in life and these moments, that we would act in a way that would glorify you and draw people closer to you, that they would see that we react differently in a way that would draw people into a question of how do you handle these pressures so well. And in doing so, give us an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with those around us. Help us to be calmer under pressure for your sake,